Welcome to this message from Port Life Church. Our goal is to bring life to the Port community and beyond. And our hope is that this message will inspire and encourage you today. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing really well this morning. Who's having a good morning so far? Worship time together was so good. Thank you, band. Really, really great. And looking forward to, um, yeah, concluding our series today about freedom. I wanted to give you a little movie recommendation first. I'm, I'm just trying to remember. I'm pretty sure there was nothing inappropriate in it, so I can recommend this movie publicly. Uh, but Kirsty and I recently watched um, a movie called Dark Waters, uh, and I think we've got that on the screen there. We watched this movie, Dark Waters, which it's a Mark Ruffalo. He plays the Hulk in, not in this movie, that would be weird. He plays it in the Avengers movies and all that stuff, um, and he is in this as well. Uh, and it's a really good movie, but unfortunately based on quite uh, dour, uh, true events. Uh, and basically, the, I'll, I'll give you kind of the synopsis without spoiling what happens in the end, but um, Mark Ruffalo's character is a guy called Rob Billet. I'm a little bit ringy this morning. That's all right, we'll get there. Uh, he's a character called Rob Billet, who was a real person, a lawyer, and uh, he was engaged by a farmer called Wilbur Tennant uh, to come and do some investigating at his farm. And the reason is that at Wilbur Tennant's farm, 190 cows had died from unusual conditions, unusual circumstances. They slowly but surely become uh, sicker and sicker. They developed tumours, their teeth had rotten, all kinds of things, and they'd started to go crazy and, and tried to attack Wilbur and others. And it was just very, very unusual behaviour that these cows uh, were emitting and then eventually uh, would go on to die. And so um, Wilbur actually had done a little bit of investigating himself and had connected these animal deaths, these cows' deaths, uh, to the local chemical uh, plant, which was, or plant, because we're in South Australia, which was uh, DuPont, the DuPont Company. And Rob, the lawyer, investigates on Wilbur's farm and he finds that DuPont had been dumping chemical waste next to the farm. The chemical waste included a chemical that I can't pronounce, but I'm going to attempt. It's perfluorooctanonic acid, also known as PFOA. And PFOA was used initially in uh, Teflon, in our pots and pans. Don't worry, you're okay. They've since changed it. But if you have a look, when you next time you go to buy a pot or a pan that is nonstick, you'll see that it will have PFOA free. Uh, on the pot and pan, which is something I never noticed until I watched this movie. So PFOA, uh, that chemical is known or was known as a forever chemical. And forever, forever chemicals are chemicals which accumulate in our blood and can't leave. We can't get rid of them. They accumulate quicker than they ever go away. I think they can last up to a thousand years or something like that. And they just keep uh, building and building and building. So if you're exposed to a little bit of it, that's fine. But if you're consistently exposed to it, it will continue to uh, build and accumulate in your blood and will ultimately poison you. It poisoned the water source of a whole town, Parkersburg in West Virginia. And for those residents, this led to, uh, you know, to begin with, uh, their, you know, their teeth would rot or they'd be feeling sick or those kinds of things. Then they would develop de- uh, diseases and ultimately uh, many of them uh, proceeded to die. Not only that, PFOA, unfortunately, would transfer in utero to uh, people's children as well. Uh, It just went on and on forever and actually caused generational problems in this particular town. Quite horrible. Today, as Josh mentioned, I'm concluding our series and I'm talking about 
freedom from sin. I've titled my message True Freedom because I figured that we can have freedom from anything and everything, but if we don't have freedom from sin, we are not truly free. So I've entitled uh, my message True Freedom this morning, speaking on freedom from sin. And sin is the lawlessness and rebellion that we have towards or against God. Like the residents of Parkersburg were infected because of the actions of one organisation, DuPont, the actions of one person in history infected the whole of the human race with sin, every single one of us. Romans 5.12 says, When Adam, who was the very first human in creation, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Each and every single one of us has been polluted by this sin problem. Sin broke down the creator and creation relationship, the relationship between us and God. We can see that in Genesis chapters 1 to 3 play out quite uh, potently. And it also disabled humanity from living acceptably before God. Not only was our relationship with God broken, but also it stops us. Sin stops us and the sin problem stops us from being able to live a life acceptable to God in totality. We can do little things here and there or could do little things here and there, but we can't fully and utterly please God in and of our own strength and behaviours. Sin's effect on humanity appeared small initially, but like with that PFOA poisoning, it accumulated. And it grew with time. When you have a look in biblical history, we see that Adam's rebellion was relatively minor and naive to begin with. Like it wasn't minor, but it kind of was. You go, okay, he, he kind of went his own way. It was a bit of a grass is greener on the other side situation. All of us have been there, done that. Adam was a bit naive as well. And it was a kind of relatively minor seeming sin. But once sin entered the world, it just kept picking up. It just kept accumulating. Only decades later, the first murder occurs with Adam's son Cain killing his other son, Abel, out of jealousy and out of greed. From there, humans began to live shorter lives in general because we were more and more polluted by sin. More and different diseases began progressing in human history. Wars began to rage and so on. Today, we see sin and its result and its effect in all of us and everywhere we go. Sin is so much a part of humanity that we even see it in our youngest and most innocent. I wonder if you've ever noticed how you don't need to teach your kids how to do bad stuff. <laughs> I've never had to teach Evie how to be rude. Uh, I was, I was, I've been a little bit sick this week and I was uh, lying in bed and she was lying next to me on um, YouTube Kids and at one point she looks over at me and just goes, she scowls at me and goes, pancakes now, Dad. Pancakes now. I didn't teach her that. I don't think Kirsty taught her that. It's possible. But you don't have to teach your kids how to be rude. You don't have to teach your little ones, your little toddlers, how to be selfish, how to be hostile, how to have fits of rage. You don't need to teach them how to be jealous. Mine. You don't need to teach them how to be dissenting and not do what you've asked them to do, even when it's best for them, even when you've said don't touch the stove. No, I'm going to touch it even more. You don't need to teach them how to do bad things. And the Bible says that this is because since Adam, sin is now in our nature. It is natural for us to sin, even from a very, very early stage in our lives. Jeremiah 2.22, in a paraphrased version, the message, I, I like the way it's put and I felt it, was, um, it, was, uh, it still stayed true to the original text. It says, scrub using the strongest soaps, scour your skin raw. 
the sin grace won't come out. Like PFOA, nothing humans can do can rid ourselves from sin. Nothing we can do in our own strength. We can do as many good deeds as we want. It will not outweigh the balance of the fact that we are, in essence, and in nature, sinful. And you know what? It doesn't even matter if you think that your sin is smaller than other people's sin. Of course, in, in this life, we will see that some people are going to do really bad things and there's human consequences which rank sin, and that's fine and, and necessary. That's what the whole justice system is about. But from pollution, sin pollution in our lives perspective, once sin's there, we're polluted. It just is what it is. I wonder if you've ever been at a restaurant and some food has come out and you've found that there's a hair in your food. 99.9999% of that meal is fine, but there's just a tiny little issue with it. Do you send it back? Who's a yes? Who's a send it back person? Who picks the hair out and just eats the rest? Who eats the hair? <laughs> Maybe today if you went out to the, uh, it adds flavour. Um, if you went out to the, to the Green Bean Cafe and you, you order a coffee from some of our great baristas and, and maybe Danielle, you know, hands you the coffee and goes, hey, I've, this is probably the best coffee I've ever made. It's perfect. But right at the end, I did a sneeze and some droplets went in. <laughs> and just, I think it was only maybe one little droplet, but, but a little droplet. Do you drink it? Of course you don't drink it even though almost 100% of that coffee is fine. The fact of the matter is that meal because of the hair is polluted and the coffee because of the snot droplet. <laughs> she does it to mine, but intentionally. <laughs> Drink it anyway. But it's polluted, isn't it? Even if it's only a tiny little thing, it wouldn't matter if someone full on spat in that coffee or if they've just done a little bit of a sneeze. The fact of the matter is big or small, that thing is polluted and it's exactly the same with us. Big sin, little sin, all sin pollutes us. Does that make sense? And so we stand now before God, a perfect God who is unpolluted in his perfect heaven. We stand before him, unable to fix our biggest issues, polluted before him, disconnected from him and with this compulsion that we have because of our sin nature that we see even from our youngest ages, that compulsion to sin, that obligation in some ways to do what is wrong. And there was a guy called the Apostle Paul who lived in first century times and, and he, he wasn't a Christian but then he, he had his radical encounter with Jesus and, and put his faith in Jesus and then went around and he was uh, planting churches and and helping churches, and he was what was known as an apostle, as I said. Um, so he preached and taught and did amazing things. And he reflected in the book of Romans on this particular issue of how we have this, these, these problems that we cannot fix, this disconnect from God and this compulsion to sin that is because of our sin nature, that the sin problem was so great. He reflected on it in Romans 7. It's quite, quite famous, but at the end of, towards the end of that uh, chapter, he says this, which I think we can all say has been a cry of our heart at some point. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me, as in who will give me true freedom from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? Who's going to give me true freedom? Not another self-help book. Not another, oh, just be more disciplined. Not another this, not another that. Not another quick fix. Who is actually going to fix 
my problem? Who is going to forgive my sin? Who is going to fix the internal issue of sin, the pollution of sin that is within me that I can't get rid of? And he ultimately concludes in verse 25, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus is the answer to the sin problem. And the Apostle Paul in the rest of his life, as soon as he met Jesus for the very first time and was saved, as in became a Christian, he spent the rest of his life planting churches, writing to churches and encouraging those churches about how Jesus is is truly the answer to the sin problem. And he wanted to make sure that people really got it. So in every single one of his letters, he wrote about it. He wanted to make sure people got it because he knew that if they got it and and in turn, if we get it, that this can be life-changing for us. It can take away the guilt and shame that we can experience thinking about our relationship with God. Oh, I'm so awful. I'm such a woeful, terrible sinner. What a miserable person I am. It can take that away and it can help us live a new life. And Paul knew this all too well because that's what it had done for him. He had been someone who had persecuted the church. He had been someone who had killed Christians in his former life. He'd approved, sorry, he hadn't killed them, but he'd approved of the killing of Christians. He'd gone all over the place. He was a a devout Jewish uh, man and teacher. He'd learnt under one of the greatest teachers of of um, that era at the time called Gamaliel. He'd learnt the law from this guy, these teachers, these rabbis who were right up there in the hierarchy. And he was going around persecuting the church, locking up Christians, travelling from town to town. That's what he was doing when when he met Jesus. He was on his way to go and persecute more Christians. And yet when he met Jesus, his life was transformed. His life changed. And so for him, because that change had occurred, he wanted everyone to know what Jesus can do for them as well, that Jesus is the answer to this sin problem. And so in all these letters, you can generally perceive a couple of things of how Paul writes that Jesus frees us from sin. There are two ways that Paul kind of consistently brings up that Jesus frees us from sin. And those two things combined give us true freedom from sin. Each on their own is kind of like really, really good, but together that's where we get the true freedom. The first thing that we see Paul write about in his letters to the various churches that he wrote to was that Jesus provides freedom from the penalty of our sin. Have you ever seen this phone before? Motorola Razr. Did anyone have a Motorola Razr or the upgraded versions? Motorola Razr, when that came out, it's very, it's hard to um, communicate to any young people around just how popular this phone was. It was incredible. It's just like, you know, you had the Nokia 3315 was like the really big one. But then the Motorola Razr was like, if you didn't have one of those, you're a loser. Like you probably don't have any friends unless you've got this. It's a bit like, you know, the whole iPhone thing today. Um, and and I, had a, I had a Motorola Razr at one point and I remember I went away on a, um, a, to a volleyball carnival. All the cool kids play volleyball, you know. Um, who plays volleyball? I love volleyball. Um, I was terrible at it, though. You're probably a lot better than me. I know Josh was good at it and coaches it. But I, uh, at one point, was captain of the volleyball team in my high school. And it's probably because my mum was the coach. Uh, So a bit of cheeky nepotism. Um, But uh, we went away on this volleyball carnival to, I think, either states or or nationals in, in Melbourne, and um, I remember I had, had my Motorola Razor with me. And whilst I was away, I was messaging a girl. And it wasn't Kirsty. <laughs> I was in like, I don't know, I was in like year eight or something. Yeah, she wasn't around there. I didn't know it. Um, I knew of her. 
I didn't know. Anyway, so I'm messaging this particular girl and, and you know, lots of messages. And, and this is back in the day. I had a $30 Telstra plan, which, wait for it, gave me $30 of calls and texts. Pretty good. Bargain. So I think a text at that point was about 50 cents. And a call, you just didn't even, you didn't even go there because that was like a dollar a minute or some, something ridiculous. And so um, over the course of that, that volleyball carnival, whilst I was away, I was texting a lot and it was, you know, it was good fun. And then I get home and probably like a week later I was at my dad's place and that's where um, the, the phone bills would come. And so I walk in and there's a piece of paper on the kitchen bench and dad says, have a look at that piece of paper. And it turns out that I had grossly exceeded my $30 plan. I had a bunch of excess charges on my bill. Telstra were not known for their grace and they still aren't. And I'd basically been penalised for exceeding the contractual terms. Like, hey, you've got $30 to spend, stick to it. No, I'd gone far over and above. And, And the long and short of it is that I couldn't pay it. There was no way me in whatever age I was at the time uh, there was, it was more than I could have ever uh, earned. And similarly, uh, we all rack up charges before God that require a payment. And we go, oh, what charges? That doesn't make any sense. What kind of, you know, how, how does that all work? Well, the charges are basically a penalty for our rebellion, all our sin, everything we ever have done, do, will do that is against God or against uh, his laws, against his perfection, um, all that rebellion uh, the penalty comes due at some point. And unlike with the, the victims of, of Parkersburg in West Virginia who had been kind of poisoned not of their own doing, this sin poisoning within us is kind of a mess of our own making. We engage in it, you know, in our lives. We, we willingly at times uh, sin. And the penalty that is deserved for our sin is an eternal spiritual death. Paul writes about this in Romans 6.23. He says, the wages of sin is death. We have all sin and the wages of that sin, the payment that that sin deserves, the penalty that that sin deserves is an eternal spiritual death, an eternal separation from our creator. This is God's just and wrathful punishment for evil, the end result of which is hell. Matthew 25, 46, Jesus tells us about how the righteous will go to eternal life and the unrighteous will not. And every single one of us, we read elsewhere, I think in Isaiah, who is righteous? Not even one. No single person on this earth, not even me up here who is teaching you about these things, is righteous in and of their own strength. Before Jesus, before God, none of us can say we are righteous. None of us can say we have never sinned. None of us can say we are fully and wholly good. And, you know, I think we get a bit annoyed with the concept of hell. In fact, there's a whole book called Erasing Hell because there's uh, by Francis Chan because there is a whole bunch of there's a bit of a movement to kind of go, no, let's, let's get rid of that. It's, a, it's an unpalatable thing to talk about. But the fact is the good news is only as good as the bad news is bad. And, and hell and God's just punishment for sin and, and the result and the direction that that sin takes us in through our choice, eternal separation from God, I don't want anything to do with him, the eternal separation from him, all those things, that is justice for sin because God must punish evil. You know, just this week we've seen in Thailand just an awful, heinous situation occur and it it just makes me so angry that that person will never face justice because there is something within me and there is something within you that wants people to pay for the wrong that they've done, to be punished for the wrong that they've done. And it is exactly the same with us. The issue is every single one of us has done wrong. 
Every single one of us has engaged in sin. Every single one of us is polluted. And the end result of that just and wrathful punishment for evil is eternal death or hell. But the thing is with that phone bill that I'd racked up, that I'd accumulated, I remember Dad saying, yes, Nick, you've done wrong. I know you can't pay this. And because Dad loves me, I hope, he, maybe he loved me at that time a little bit less, um, but because of his love, because of his grace, he said, I'm going to pay this bill for you. I'm not expecting you to pay it back. I know you can't. I love you. You've made a mistake, but now I'm going to pay this bill for you so you don't have to live hindered with having that over your head. And in a similar way, but in a far, far better way, God looks at us and he acknowledges and sees you've sinned. You are a sinner. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. God looks at us and he sees that, but he says, because of my great love, I want to pay the penalty of your sin myself. I don't want you to be dead in your sin and go on in death in your sin and and spend eternity separated from me in death. I want you to have eternal life and I want to make it as easy and as accessible as possible. And so God paid our sin debt. God fulfilled the just and wrathful requirement of the punishment for sin when he sent Jesus to come and die for us. And Jesus willingly came. He willingly came and died for you. Romans 3, 23 to 25, Paul writes, For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God, not when they do heaps of good works and go, God, am I good enough now? No, when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. It is not based on something we have done or could do. Otherwise, we'd start boasting about it and go, oh, I'm better than you. I've done good, more good works than you. I get you know, a better place in heaven than you do. No, it's only based on what Jesus, the perfect one, has done for us. And the charges against us, that bill that had been racked up, were destroyed in Jesus' body on the cross. The charges against you, all your sin, past, present and future, that was taken on Jesus on the cross and destroyed in his body on the cross. Colossians 2.14, Paul wrote to the church in Colossae and said that Jesus cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. He cancelled the record of the charges against you. They're cancelled, they're gone, they're done. You know, if you go to a restaurant and the bill comes due, you can't just rip it up, throw it in the person's face and then go, stuff you, I'm leaving. That bill is still due. You ripping it up hasn't done anything. But Jesus paid for it and then ripped it up. It is gone, it is done. The record of your sin no longer exists if you are in Christ. If you have accepted what Jesus has done for you on the cross, his death and resurrection, there is no record of your wrong because in place of it is only the record of Christ's right doing. And Jesus' sacrifice. I saw a um, fantastic meme on the internet. It's not actually that, it's not a funny meme. It's kind of hard to explain. If you can just put that up there, Becky. So this is on Twitter. If you're not familiar with Twitter, this person's quote tweeted. So read the bottom one first. Uh, um, Student debt is a big problem in America and very crippling. Someone goes, hey, I've got a bright idea. They should give all the college debt, all the student debt to one guy. Everyone else clear. Now, the way that this person talks is really weird, so I'll translate if I can. Everyone else clear. One guy, two trillion in the hole. That means he takes the two trillion of debt on him, but no loophole for the guy. His punishments should be real 
and meaningful. In other words, basically put the two trillion of debt on one person and then punish him for it as though he was the one that did it. Destroy him and then we're all debt free. And this person quote tweets him and says, this person just accidentally preached the gospel. (laughs) Because that's what the gospel is. All of our sin was pinned to one man. But he wasn't an imperfect man as that probably, you know, would be. It was pinned to one person, the holy and perfect son of God who was not sinful, who was completely sinless, holy and good. All our sin was pinned on him or as this person says, two trillion in the hole, whatever that means. And so they've pinned it all on him and he has been crushed for our iniquity, destroyed that we could have freedom from that sin. Romans 5, 18 to 19, Paul continues on. He writes, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. We're all condemned because of our sin before God, because we're polluted. But because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person, Jesus, the Holy One, obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Righteous means sinless in God's sight. Whole, perfect, good. It's hard to look at ourselves and go, ooh, I don't, you know, I didn't wake up feeling perfect today. It's not a feeling of perfection it's a state of perfection spiritually spiritually your state your slate has been wiped clean because Jesus has taken it upon himself he was now sinless and holy in God's sight Jesus in his death we read in 2 Corinthians 5 21 another letter of Paul Jesus in his death traded his perfection for our sin terrible trade deal for him awesome trade deal for us this is why the Christian need not feel ashamed now before a holy God because when we accept Jesus' death and resurrection, Paul tells us in Romans 8.1 that we're no longer condemned. We don't stand condemned before God anymore because our pollution has been taken away. We actually now, in Colossians 1.22, he writes, stand blameless before God. Isn't that a crazy thought? I know what I do. I know what I think. I know what I've done. I know that I'm still going to make mistakes and yet you're telling me, I get to stand blameless before perfect God. Nothing to do with what I've done. All to do with what Jesus has done for me and on my behalf. We're no longer on the highway to hell. That is no longer our destiny if we have accepted Jesus, but we have the hope of heaven. The Bible tells us, I think Paul tells us elsewhere, that our life is now hidden in Christ. So when Jesus looks at us, we are hidden in Christ and in his perfection. Jesus has freed us from the penalty of our sin. Make sense? The second way that Paul writes uh, to his readers and, and says that Jesus frees us from sin is that Jesus frees us or provides freedom from the control of sin. So he's already freed us from the punishment, uh, sorry, the penalty of sin, but he also frees us from the control of sin. As I mentioned, the effects of that PFOA chemical uh, poisoning would, would slowly but surely increase because it would accumulate in the blood. There's nothing people could do to get rid of it. And it's exactly the same with us and the sin nature. It starts off, as I said, with us as kids being selfish and doing little things. But it gets worse and worse, deeper-rooted. Sin becomes takes more and more of our, our person along with it. And this is why wars are fought. It's why we have criminal laws. Why do we need criminal laws? Because people do things against other people that are awful. And we need to protect people from that. But why should we need to protect people from that? Because that's just how people are. There are times where people will do things against other people and their sin doesn't just affect them but everyone else around them. It ruins whole communities. It destroys things. Look at the situation we've just seen this week. Destroys families. It destroys all kinds of 
hope, and goodness. And so to have our past and present and future sins forgiven is amazing. What we receive in Jesus through him paying the penalty for our sin is amazing, incredible, something we could never have done. But to have true freedom, we need something else. We need to have that sin nature dealt with. Because that sin nature is what continues our rebellion. We can have all our sins forgiven, but if we still have a sin nature, we're going to go on sinning. And therefore, by having that sin nature, that stops us from living the life that God expects his people to live. He doesn't just say, hey, I've forgiven your sins and now be on your merry way. He says, I've forgiven your sins through Jesus and I want you to live a new life. I want you to live for what is good, for what is holy and what is right. Paul wrote in Romans 12.1 that God wants us to live as a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that God will find acceptable. Romans 8, 7 to 8, but the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under control of their sinful nature can never please God. I can have all my sins forgiven, but if I've got that sinful nature, how am I going to please God in my actions? Yes, I can do a good thing here and there and that's fine, but the root is still not good. Paul says that if we have a sin nature, that sin is our master, Romans 6.14. We're its slaves, Romans 6.20. And therefore, ultimately, we're obligated to sin. We're not obligated to do what is right if sin is our master. We are obligated to do what our master, sin, wants us to do, which is sin. Paul paints this really dreary picture. Oh, hello. Of who we are and what we can be if sin is our master. And ultimately, the fact that he lands on is that if sin is our master, then God isn't. If sin is our master, then Jesus cannot be. And so God, in his grace, in his love, in his justice, gave us a way to have a new life under a new master. When we accept Jesus' death and resurrection, the Bible says, and Paul writes, that we actually receive a spiritual regeneration and rebirth internally, spiritually. We're transformed because Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, we're told, comes to live within us. And not in a way where we can like pluck him out, okay? It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual exchange. It's a spiritual reality that when we accept what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we don't just have our sins forgiven, but he comes and dwells in our hearts and lives by his Holy Spirit. Paul writes in Romans 8.11, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you if you've accepted what Jesus has done for you. Galatians 2.20, he says, it is no longer I in my old sin nature who live, but Christ that lives in me. If it was me that went on living, I would just keep perpetuating sin forevermore. Nothing would ever change. Nothing would ever improve. But now it is Christ that lives within me. And this means... He writes in Romans 8, 12, that now, because you have Jesus living within you, if you've accepted what he's done for you on the cross, now you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Because sin is no longer your master. Now you have a new master. We're no longer under the control of sin, but of the spirit. Jesus by his spirit is our new master, our new spiritual governor, our new spiritual captain. So we no longer have an old sin nature, but a new Jesus nature. This means that no longer sin, but God is working in you. See, without Jesus and without his indwelling, without Jesus coming and living within us spiritually, 
sin is just working in us to perpetuate sin, to keep on sinning. But when Jesus comes and lives within us, there is an encouragement internally to slowly but surely do what is right. Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, chapter 2, verse 13, saying, For God now is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. To do to the desire and the power. He's giving you the desires, desires that you didn't once have to do what was right. The power that you in your in your flesh, you, you couldn't you couldn't get through this, you couldn't actually do this, you couldn't do the good that now the Holy Spirit and Jesus through his Holy Spirit are encouraging internally for you to do. In other words, yes, you are still going to sin sometimes. But when you do, you fall into grace because your sins have been forgiven, because Jesus has taken the penalty of your sin, right? But Jesus, through his spirit and with this new nature in you, will guide you towards good. If you give your life over to Jesus and accept what he has done for you on the cross, Jesus will begin to guide you like an internal compass to where and what is good. For example, that gossip that you would once spread and do and engage in regularly about someone or many people, over time you might find that something within you, if you've accepted Jesus, something within you might just go, I don't think I should be doing that. Maybe your way of solving problems, as I saw one very famous basketballer this week, his way of solving problems was to just punch people in the face. Draymond Green, if you want to have a look at something, it's uh, it's interesting. Had a training, just punches his teammate in the face because he was annoying, really hard. If that's your way of solving problems, if anger and violence might be your way, when you accept Jesus into your life, his indwelling within you and his guidance within you is going to slowly but surely be directing you Hey, that's not the way. There is a new and better way. Maybe for you, doing things selflessly without a reward is not natural. But as you give your life over to Jesus, slowly but surely you find that you're doing selfless acts. You're doing things for no apparent reward. You're not doing things because, oh, if I do this, then people are going to think I'm good. If I do this, then people are going to think I'm nice. If I do this, then, you know, um, my wife will give me a back rub. Whatever it is. Instead, you're going, no, I'm doing these things. I'm doing these selfless behaviours because it is what Jesus is directing me and guiding me to do. All of a sudden, it's becoming more and more natural to me because God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. And as you follow Jesus and the Spirit's leading in your life, the sinful things you once did will naturally become less so. The sinful things that once entertained you, slowly but surely, are not going to entertain you so much. The sinful attitudes you once had towards others and behaviours you engaged in will slowly but surely fade. And the godly things that were once unnatural for you, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, humility, grace, all these kinds of things, those things that once were unnatural perhaps to you will become more and more natural because you'll be following the Holy Spirit's leading. This is a process which in Christianity, you may have heard it's called sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. And this is a cause that the rest of our life is devoted to. The Spirit doesn't come in and go, oop, click, oop, now you're just like Jesus today. We're all walking around just like Jesus every single day now forevermore because you've accepted Jesus yesterday. No, we've got patterns and behaviours that have built up in our minds that are built up in our lives for years and years sometimes from from birth. 
And so Jesus comes in and he seeks to change these things through the Spirit's guidance, through the Spirit's power over the course of the rest of your life and lead you into a new life, a life that is befitting the people of God. Paul says that this is part of renewing our mind to the patterns of God, no longer following the patterns of the world, not doing as the world would do, not doing as the world would encourage, but the way of God, renewing our mind with new patterns and new ways of doing things that match the Spirit. The Spirit within us will slowly but surely infiltrate those thoughts and actions. And this happens as we choose to live from God's leadership rather than from sins. And Paul kind of concludes in Romans 6, 16 to 17. He says, don't you realise that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteousness. That means godly living. Thank God, once you were slaves to sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. And throughout the rest of his letters, we see that he indicates, yes, you're going to make mistakes. Yes, you're going to stuff up. Yes, these things are going to happen. But Jesus' grace is there for you in your mistakes. God calls you out and into a new life and his grace supports you along that journey, knowing that you are going to make mistakes, knowing that life is tough. But let's not be slaves to sin, but slaves to what is good. Jesus has freed us from the control of our sin. Now, this morning, we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, what I'm going to ask is, um, we are, we're going to go into a time of communion. We're going to just take time together, remembering and reflecting on the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, we felt that today, because of the topic, freedom from sin, Jesus truly frees us from our sin. Communion was a great way to celebrate this. So you can, guys, you can do that now and, and you may stand and, and go and grab your communion emblems. So just, uh, I don't want to spoil that movie too much, but at one point the there is a lawsuit. I mean, it's a, it's a real event, so you can just go look it up and that'll spoil it anyway. Um, but at one point the there is a settlement uh, between DuPont and the members of this town. And in Australian dollars, that settlement was $1 billion, or just over. And that was a lot, obviously. But the thing about that settlement is it didn't really fix anything, did it? The presence or poisoning of PFOA was still there in the community, in their children, children's children for many of them. And people had no ability to really move on with a new life. You know, perhaps they had money, but they didn't have health. They, they didn't have their loved ones anymore, whatever it was. It was very difficult to live a new life now. And so today, really what I'm telling you or, or wanting to speak about and hoping that you've gotten is that the spiritual settlement through Jesus Christ is far greater than anything money can buy, than anything we could do in and of our own strength. Because firstly, on the cross, Jesus made it possible for you to be freed from the penalty of sin. In Isaiah 53, 5, we read that Jesus was pierced for our rebellion and crushed for our sins. And the second way that Jesus frees us from sin is that through his death and resurrection, it made it possible for you to be freed from sin's control on your life over time. This enables you to start living a new life if you so choose, if you desire to partner with God, a life in partnership with Jesus, led by the Spirit, pleasing to God, a life where you're growing in godliness, incrementally, slowly, but surely. A life not enslaved to sin, but free free to follow God with your whole heart. 
And I say that these two things are possible. Jesus made it possible because at the end of the day, our will is the determining factor. We are the ones who have to accept what He has done on the cross for us. God did this out of His great love and grace for us, but we need to accept it by faith. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be under judgment and condemnation. I don't want to be stuck and stale and dead in my sin. I want to have a new life free from the penalty of sin and free from its control on my life. And so this morning, as we are about to eat and drink, remembering the blood of Jesus, which is what the cup represents, and the body of Jesus, both that was spilled and and crushed for us. My question is, where are you at with Jesus? As you and, or maybe those around you, if you've opted not to have communion this morning, as you, those around you eat and drink, would you reflect, have you, have you accepted Jesus into your life? Have you had your sins forgiven? The offer is there and it is free. If you have, do you feel like you've been following the leading of His Holy Spirit in your life? Or do you feel maybe like you're still enslaved to sin? One thing is for sure, Paul kind of concludes a lot of this thinking in Romans 10, 13, saying, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved from the penalty of their sin and the consequence of it. And saved from the control of sin in their lives. The ability to start living a new life for Him. This morning, my encouragement as you eat and drink and reflect, would you call out to Him? internally this morning, just between you and God. Just communicate with Him and say, Jesus, this is where I'm at, but this is maybe where I want to be. And if you've never accepted Jesus before, maybe this right now is the time. You may eat and drink as you feel that. Thanks for listening to this message from Port Life Church. If you have any questions, please email info at portlife.org.au. Have a great day.